I want to ask you a question today, or pose a question. Should we really be concerned about the end of the world? Now, there are probably millions and millions of non-Christ followers who probably really should be kind of concerned. I mean, they should kind of be looking at the tea leaves and seeing what's going on. However, I hear what some of you are thinking, because I have that ability, you know, little ESP. You're like, no, I'm not really concerned, and it really doesn't really bother me. Well, that's awesome, but let me tell you who is. Your neighbor across the street, your people that you work with, your co-workers, your family members, and some of your friends are concerned about it because there's a lot of dialogue right now about it. You go into any bookstore, you're going to find materials on it. You go Google it. It's out there. People are asking the question. So I wanted to give us a little bit of background and some insight into this idea. As Christ followers, should we really be concerned with the end of the world? Now, this is not a new concept, believe it or not. It's been going around for centuries and centuries. In fact, on, on April 3rd, um, there were believers in Northeast America gathered on a hillside, kind of like a group like that, but it was a long time ago, 1843, in fact. And they were sitting around waiting for the end of the world. In fact, some had sold their homes. They had gotten all their money out of the bank and gave it all away. Now, this is 1843. They all followed a New York evangelist named William Miller. In fact, there was a large group of them that were called Millerites. Reporters had a field day. People from the Globe and New York papers, they all went, and they, they were waiting for the end of the world, according to this guy. And reportedly, uh, some disciples were on a mountaintop hoping for a, a head start to heaven. Uh, there were some that wanted to go to the graveyards and, and, and go and be ushered uh, in the great rapture with their loved ones. Uh, some ascended in, uh, basically some of the goody two-shoe ladies kind of met by themselves out away from town, so if they did go up, they didn't go up with the undesirables. <laughs> Makes no sense, right? Some high society ladies. But April 4th dawn, as usual, so the end of the world did not happen, and the Millerites were disillusioned, but took heart. Their leader predicted a range of dates, for the end, and so they did it again and again and again, and finally, all those dates have also come and gone. Since then, there have been many others that have claimed that they know the end of the world and when it's going to happen, and according to the George Gallup poll, the belief that Jesus Christ is going to return to the earth someday is held by 62% of all Americans. If my math is correct, from my high school in Pendleton County, that is 38% of Americans do not believe that Jesus Christ is going to return to earth. By the way, that study was conducted in 1987. So the latest poll is there are nearly 50% people do not believe in the return of Jesus Christ. But of all the themes of our faith, what the Bible tells us about the end of the world ranks as one of the most controversial subjects. Not surprisingly, its controversial nature has also caused it to be one of the more popular subjects of our faith. If you go to a bookstore, you'll see a bunch of books on the subject. And the, these books contain as many opinions about it as there are books written about it. Turn on the TV, log into your phone or, or your uh, laptop, and you'll see a preacher, some personality, peddling their latest opinion 
about the end of the world. And some of them have elaborate maps, right? I mean, they kind of plan it all out from when Jerusalem and World War II and take you up to today. And I mean, it's elaborate and unbelievable. It's awesome. And we have other religious leaders trying to predict the, the day that the world will end. But the Mayans thought they knew. The other people thought they did. So we should be concerned about this. I mean, it's going to come and it's going to go. But I'm interested in what the Bible says about it. That's where I want to take my cues. What should we be doing about the end of the world? If you will, take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to Mark's Gospel 13. And in honor of reading God's Holy Word, would you stand with me as we read together? <clears throat> However, no one knows the day or hour when these things will happen. Not even the angels in heaven or the Son Himself. Only the Father knows. And since you don't know when that time will come, be on guard and stay alert. The coming of the Son of Man can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. And when he left home, he gave each of his slaves instructions about the work they were to do. And he told the gatekeeper to watch for his return. You too must keep watch. You don't know when the master of the household will return, in the evening, at midnight, before dawn, or at daybreak. Don't let him find you sleeping when he arrives without warning. I say to you what I say to everyone. Watch for him. Let's pray. God, may we be found faithful, watching, alert. Should we be concerned about the end day? No. Should we be concerned about others who are not ready? Absolutely. So give us a little bit of insight today, God, on how we can share our faith, our faith and our love that we have in you. And when we sing the songs, we will trust you. The world doesn't trust anybody because it can't. There's only one worthy of our ultimate trust, and that's Jesus. And it's in his name we pray, amen. You may be seated. So before we can come to really to understand a, a right perspective of this subject, I want to introduce you to a word called eschatology. Eschatology is the study of last things. Eschatology is the study of what the Bible says about the final events and God's ultimate purposes for us in the world. Put simply, eschatology is about how God has designed the world as we know it to be transformed. The study of eschatology is very important to our faith. Christians believe that God is working towards that end. I've often said in funerals, can you imagine what heaven's going to be like if God took six days to create the world and the heavens, and the universe as we know it today. And how special it is. Imagine what God has been doing. The Bible says He's been preparing a place for us. For us. That we would have value. That we have input. That we can be relatable to others. We have a job. It is more than just accepting Christ. It is also sharing that information. You see, God is transforming us and the world to become what he has wanted from the very beginning, a world of complete obedience to him. 
I'll never be obedient to your God, one person told me once. I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to do when I want to do it and how I want to do it, and I'm not going to pay attention to anything the Bible says that's not relatable to me today. And I just said, look, there's going to be a day when every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. You're going to do that whether you want to or not. There's going to be a day when God says in His plan, you're going to bow and you're going to acknowledge that I am the Creator. And He's been working towards that end ever since. So another way we refer to this is the kingdom of God. Most people believe that when we die, we're going to enter the kingdom of God. And that's certainly to the believer's point, exactly right. But did you know that the kingdom of God begins the moment when you accept Christ into your heart? That you're not waiting to go to the kingdom of God? You are part of the kingdom of God? Welcome to the kingdom of God. Isn't that exciting? That you're already in the kingdom? You know, when I think about kingdom, the only other magical place I can think of in the world is Disney World, right? And when you go into Disney World and say, welcome to the magical kingdom. And I'm like, yeah, but this is nothing what heaven's going to be like. No matter how great it is, no matter how glorious it is, it fails in comparison to what heaven is going to be like. I just think most Christians, we yearn for the sovereignty of God. And you're going to find these deep yearnings expressed through many different views and opinions as to how and when the world will end and God's complete rule will begin. We don't have to look far to find someone who has an opinion on it. In fact, if you don't believe how many different views and opinions there are to the end of the world, again, I said, just go look it up. It's unbelievable. When people are emotionally charged about a subject, they, get, they do get emotional about it. They get excited about it. It's inevitable that there will be intense debate about it. And I'm not going to go into great detail today about my thoughts, about what it's going to look like and how it's going to work, but I'll, I'm, I'm going to talk to you about some ideas that, that I have, some theological insight to what the Bible tells us about what we should be looking for and how it all plays a part. There are a lot of Christians who diligently seek the Bible for answers about the end of the world. Some believe Christ is going to come before a tribulation and take away those who are saved. I'm referring to the rapture of the church. Some feel that Christ will come in the middle of the tribulation, which is the seven-year period from the rapture until the end of the world, the thousand-year millennial reign where Christ will put Satan in a hole and bound him for a thousand years. There are those who call themselves premillennialists. Okay, Premillennialists believe that Christ will call his church to heaven and then the great tribulation period of seven years will begin. I can't wait till we get done with a book of Acts because I think where we're going in the next Bible study is Revelation. There seems to be so much about it, we're just going to launch. So that'll be 2022. Stay tuned. We're going to go into Revelation. Um, there are others who are post millennials As I said, they believe that Christ will come after the thousand-year uh, peace on earth. There are some who call themselves amillennialists. Amillennial view regards the thousand years mentioned in Revelation 20 as a symbolic number, not as a literal description. A millennials hold that millennium has already begun and is identical with the current church age, that we're actually in it now. I don't believe that. In fact, I'm a panmillennialist. What's a panmillennialist? I believe it's all going to pan out. 
I believe it's all going to pan out in the end. We're not going to have to worry about those things. Jesus specifically tells us that no one knows when the world will end, not even Him. Now, if Jesus doesn't know, how can somebody else know? If Jesus doesn't know, how can this preacher preach it and know? Nobody knows. I'm going to tell you something. It's not our job to know. We're so wrapped up in this idea that we have to know. The Scripture tells us in Mark 13, 32, however, no one knows the day or hour when these things will happen. Not even the angels in heaven or the Son Himself. Only the Father knows. We are not called to as Christians to worry about the details of the end of the world. We are called simply to be faithful. If you and I will be faithful and obedient to God, we can be at peace. We don't have to worry about the end of the world or what's going to happen or how does COVID play a part in this. You know, you hear all kinds of things. I'm sure that when the bubonic plague hit, the Black Death of, 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 in America hit, and around the world, there were people back then saying, oh, the world is going to end. This is the most wor- horrible thing. You know, history has a way of repeating itself. And there, there might be something to COVID, and there might be the next whatever emergency comes down the pike. Are we going to worry about that? A lot of people do. They're so consumed with that subject material that they're not even thinking about how to affect each other, how we are to live our life. We're so worried about the end that we don't do anything about the now. We're called to be patiently waiting. I don't know about you, but I'm not very patient. I've only been in Lexington now for about four months, and I can tell you that most people in Lexington aren't very patient. And how, how do I know that? Because they will drive over you in line. Because they run through red lights. Hey, people, when it's red, you stop. Green means go. Red means stop. And yellow means go very fast. When you're in line at the Walmart, checking yourself out, and you're sitting there behind me and you're waiting for me to get done, don't breathe heavily like I'm, like I'm holding up your world. I mean, what is wrong with you all? Relax a little bit. It is a crazy, and it happens in East Tennessee and in Florida and everywhere else in the world too. People have become so preoccupied by their own issues. And we're no longer worried about others. We're not faithful. We're not obedient. If we're to be honest, we're selfish. We're self-seeking. We seek pleasure. That's what we seek. We're not even concerned about building the kingdom of God, which is sharing what we do have, or adding to the church, like the early church did, to the number they added daily. They met together daily. There are some hints that we need to be getting as a church. But there is a thing called inheritance, which we have been promised. Isn't that awesome that we're going to get an inheritance? And uh, Pam's real big about the, uh, the royals and all that stuff, and I forgot what they call it, but she, she loves all that stuff, William and Harry. And she tells me, and I, I'm sitting there paying attention. She's telling me, and I'm going, mm-hmm, okay, whatever. But in a promised future inheritance, one of the many promises that God gives us in His Word. But the concept sometimes is difficult for us to understand exactly what is prepared for us. 
When Princess Diana died in 1997, she left a sizable um, inheritance for her, both of her sons, William and Harry, in the amount of $20.4 million. With investments and in, uh, uh, interest, the amount grew during their teenage years to almost $31.4 million. But the provision stipulated that William and Harry were only able to inherit this considerable estate on their 30th birthdays. So on June 2012, Harry turned 30 and inherited his portion, and a few years later, Harry got his as well. The estate was always theirs. It was always put back to them. They just had to wait to get there. It was promised for them. It was in their names. It's been set aside for them. In the same way as followers of Christ, you and I have an inheritance based on Jesus' promise that it's ours. It's in your name. It's waiting for you, and it's setting aside for you. So, at the right time, you too will receive your inheritance in full. There will be three things we can be certain about at the end of the world. Number one, we will be transformed. I told Pam, when I get to heaven, I'm going to look a lot like Brad Pitt. You may not notice me when you get there, because I'm going to look a whole lot different. I don't know what we're going to look like. That's a discussion, uh, again, I think that's kind of meaningless, but people have it. What's it going to be like? How, how, how are we going to, you know, Pam's big thing is, will you recognize me? I said, even if I do, I'm going to act like I don't know you at all, you know. <laughs> will we be married in heaven? I don't think so. I mean, after all, they said there's no sin in heaven, so how could you be married and live in heaven? That was a really bad joke, wasn't it? <laughs> if you're married, you're really, y'all have issues. I mean, everybody does. I just know this, that's going to be glorious. And that's what we need to focus on, is the thing that matters, that we're going to be transformed. And there's a lot of misinformation about how Christians are going to get there, but I... I 100% believe that God's church, meaning all Christians who have placed their faith in Christ, will be ushered to heaven to be with God before the tribulation. So in all fairness, I am a pre-millennialist. I believe in my mind and my heart that the church will be raptured before the tribulation. For all the people who go, the sky is falling like chicken little, I believe that we will not be here. Every time I have a discussion with my father or a discussion with someone else, I'm like, we will not be here. Aren't you glad we're not going to be here? We're going to be ushered up into heaven and we will not have to deal with this. Now, the seven-year tribulation is the period of time when the Antichrist will come to rule on earth. A lot of people speculated that it might be this person or that person. Not been identified yet because the rapture hasn't happened yet and the tribulation hasn't started. But if you are here, and it is possible that there will be many, many people, even those who come and attend church, do not have their faith in Christ, will not be ushered up into heaven, and you will be here. The first three and a half years of that tribulation are going to be awesome. Everyone's going to eat. Everyone's going to get wealthy. Everything's going to be fine. It's going to be glory on earth. They're like, what is the problem? We're not missing anybody. We're not missing the church. We're not missing the people. We're not, everything's good. But then the Antichrist is identified. The other three and a half years is when he puts the other foot down. That's when you get marks of the beast and all kinds of situations. It's not when you got a shot from the COVID shot. 
I, I've heard every unbelievable, imaginable thing you could imagine. Well, that's how they've marked us now. No, it's not. No, it's not. Do the research. No, it's not. And that's not even how the Bible decides or declares how it's going to be. There will be a time. You can announce your faith in Christ. But it's going to be awful. You're taking a chance. Millions of people are taking a chance with their lives, with their spiritual lives, thinking, I'll just get saved during the tribulation. You may starve to death. You may get injured. You may get killed by buildings toppling over on you. And even if you do profess your faith, the Bible's pretty clear that there's going to be a lot of heads removed, a lot of families tore up. You're going to go through basically hell on earth. If you think you've gone through a hard time now, that's what tribulation is. And then Jesus comes back at the end of the seven years, and that's when he puts Jesus or puts Satan into a hole for a thousand years, the millennium. There is no influence of evil, and yet there will still be a major, major try to be an overflow, an overthrow of God at the end times after the thousand years. That by nature, you and I are still sinful creatures. Tim LaHaye, who wrote Left Behind, I, I highly recommend you. I, I think that that is as on track as anything I've read or looked at in the last 20 years. Now, it's probably early 2000s, late 90, 90s when that came out, but I was very impressed with the theology, the theology of, those, of those books. There's probably some ad-libbing in there, but for the most part, it's pretty legitimately real. Should we be concerned about that? No, because we're going to be raptured into this, into this into the heavens. That's what I believe. Should we be worried about the end of the world? As I said when I started, if you're a non-Christian, yeah, I probably would be a little concerned. I can see the, the timeline happening. I can see uh, famines more and more happening. I can see more floods and hurricanes happening. I can see more uh, overthrow governments. I see one world currency. I see some signs that kind of get the ball rolling. But should we be concerned about that as Christ followers? I don't think so. We should be focused on being faithful. We live in an earthly tent. 2 Corinthians 5, For we know that when this earthly tent we live in is taken down, that is, when we die and leave this earthly body, one out of one of us will pass away. You're going to have a house in heaven, an eternal body made for us by God himself and not by human hands. We grow weary in these present bodies, and we long to put on our heavenly bodies like new clothing. Number two, I'll move along. When the world ends, we can be certain that we will be judged. There is a really poor theology that says once you accept Christ, you're good. You're done. You're solid. Wrong. Our salvation is not going to be judged, but we're going to be judged by the information we had, and that is we accepted Christ. What did we do with that information? I've preached that now three times here, and I've mentioned that every single time. Did you know Jesus? And what did you do with that information? That is what we're all going to be judged on. Yeah, when it comes to all the evil and bad stuff in our life, when you accept Christ, it is gone. As the East is from the West, it's gone. Our sins are no longer. Aren't you glad about that? But what we do for Jesus will be judged by God himself. For all of us, Galatians 5.10 tells us, for all of us must appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each may receive recompense for what has been done in the body, whether good or evil. The distinction here is that it is not our sin that will be judged, but our actions and the result of being forgiven by Christ. 
The judgment of God for those who are not Christians is another matter. As Christians, our sins have been taken care of, as I said, through the redemptive work of Christ on the cross. But the judgment that Paul speaks about is our lack of faithfulness. So, how have we behaved in response to being saved has eternal significance. You are sadly mistaken if you think, I'm good, I got saved, I got dunked in the baptism pool, I'm good, life is grand. I can't wait for my eternal reward. There is more to the story. When the world as we know it ends, we can be certain that God will rule forever and ever. There will be no more tears and no more suffering, only eternal peace and joy. So we do not know how or when the world will end and God's complete reign will begin, but one thing we do know, we need to be ready. We need to be ready. <laughs> Whenever I think about Christ's return, I think about the classrooms I used to be in. I don't know about you, and I'm sure Pam's a teacher, Vicky's a teacher, some, some of y'all are teachers, you know how this works. The teacher said to the class, I've got to step out for just a moment. I've got to take a phone call, or I've got to go to the principal's office. Well, as soon as she walked out the door, I'm the first one with my paper wads, and I'm going after my friend, and we got spitballs going, you know, whatever, and we're wrecking desks, and we're tearing up, and inevitably there's always this goody-two-shoe little girl in the back floor. Y'all better sit down. Teacher be back any moment. And we hunt her down. Sure enough, teacher would walk back in the room, and whenever my mom got mad at me, she used all 26 letters of the alphabet in my name. Lawrence Timothy Lettingham. We were at the store the other day at Target. I bought some cookies. My wife says out loud, Lawrence Timothy Lettingham. And all these women turned around and looked at me and I went, Whew. God is not going to shock us like that or put us in those moments. He's simply going to give you the option. Do you want to live your life in fear, or do you want to live your life in faith? Listen to this wisdom. It tells us in Mark 13, you too must keep watch. For you don't know when the master of the household will return. In the evening at midnight, before dawn, or at daybreak, don't let him find you asleep. When he arrives without warning, like a thief in the night, in a twinkling of an eye, when you least expect it, and then it's going to be so late. Wait, 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 I was going to accept Christ this Sunday. Wait, 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 I, I was going to share with my family member tomorrow. Oh God, what have I done? because it will be too late. You and I today have been given a precious, precious gift. We've been given today a day of life, a day of worship, a day of celebration, a day of rest, a day to reach out to your family and your friends one more time, or for the first time. Do you know Jesus? Can I come and share what Christ means to me? During his 1960 presidential campaign, John F. Kennedy uh, would often share the story of Colonel Davenport 
He was the Speaker of the Connecticut House of Representatives. On May 19, 1780, the sky of Hartford darkened threateningly, and some of the representatives, glancing out the windows, feared that the end was at hand. Defeating a clamor for immediate adjournment, Davenport rose and said these words. The day of judgment is either approaching or it is not. If it is not, there is no case for adjournment. If it is, I choose to be found doing my duty. Therefore, I wish that candles be brought in. Rather than fear what is to come, we're to be faithful till Christ comes. Instead of fearing the dark, we're to be lights as we watch and wait. It's an opportunity when your co-workers or friends are talking about the end of the world. It's a time for you and I to be lights in a dark world. To have a positive spin that God is good, that God sends no one to hell. We make our choices by accepting him or not. God has prepared something for us better than we could ever even imagine. When younger generations look back on our lives, will they say that we are servants of the Lord? that we were faithful in watching, that we were waiting for the Lord, but passing time doing a thousand different things. The Apostle Paul would tell us, encourage one another, build each other up. Those on guard duty can encourage and can be encouraged. In the last few moments, I thought I would give you a perspective from another pastor, Matt Chandler, about the end times. It's just a couple of minutes long, but take a look. Maybe not. That's the great wizard sits back there. Or you can just take my word for it. It was pretty good. Don't you love technology? I will put it on Facebook today. You can go there and find it. It's good. I love you. I could have talked about a billion other things. In fact, when I... Oh, here it is. So when you're talking about the end times, I think the thing that is stirs up in a lot of men and women's minds, specifically if they've never really studied or dug into it, it's kind of apocalyptic, kind of dragons, book of revelation. What, what does this mean? There's no way to really know. And, and, and I think the thing to consider about the end times is that the end times and staring into our future as believers in Jesus Christ is all about hope. That's what it's about, that, that we have hope for our souls, that they uh, live eternally with our Savior. We have hope for our bodies as our bodies ache and, and grow old and wear out. We have this reminder, and we see it in 1 Corinthians 15, and we see it also in Revelation, that we'll have physical resurrected bodies that don't perish, that can't get sick. And then we have hope for our world, this broken world that we're in, that in the, um, that in the reign and rule of Christ in 
and throughout eternity, in the future and throughout eternity is one where uh, all things have been made new uh, and that our hope is not something that's in front of us anymore, but that's something that we're actively participating in every second of our being. So that is a hope for our soul, but a hope for our physical body and also a hope for our planet. Now, uh, when we think about the details around that, that that's where uh, people start to divide into camps and start to kind of argue back and forth. I want to say that that I think that this is a good thing to study, a good thing to dive into, but there's a level of mystery here that God has allowed, even as he has revealed to us in the word of God, uh, that there is something around the millennial reign of Christ. When we're talking about the end times, what we're talking about is Christian hope and where the Christian's hope should be placed. And so listen, just to encourage you at the end of this very short uh, video, uh, our souls are secure. Uh, our bodies will be made new and, and, and our earth, this, this earth of ours will be recreated and, and will be what it was meant to be uh, covered with the glory of God, established in the order that God intended for the glory of God and for our joy forever in ever increasing joy. And that's something to hope in. I told you it was good. <laughs> I wanted you to hear there are certain mysteries, right, that God gives us in his word. Uh, in fact, the whole salvation experience could be contributed to a mystery. But we know that Jesus gave his life for us on the cross, that through his blood we, we've been redeemed, and I'm so grateful for that, but that there is hope. We don't have to fear what's coming. We don't know if it will happen in our lifetime, and I don't want you to be worried about that. I do want you to be watching, waiting, be hopeful, be excited about what God's doing. Let's pray. God, thank you for the opportunity to be in your word today. This specifically tells us, you know, Mark tells us, don't, don't, don't be sitting around waiting, I mean, or sitting around not, not doing anything, but be, be patient. Be mindful, be watchful, be alert. But help us to be not so heavenly minded that we're no earthly good, that some people are so wrapped up in um, things that we can't control that it uh, paralyzes us. We have forgotten how to live. That fear has dominated our world and our landscape and our, our churches and our people and our families and marriages. That pandemics are more important than Christ. What? God, give us a new sense of purpose. Help us to make kingdom impacts this week. In Jesus' name, amen.